Well, hello and welcome to episode number 364 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. I'm Carlos and in this week's show, a rather large fight breaks out on board an aircraft. We find out why it's bad to be stressed while flying and a member of the royal family goes for her sim check ride. In the military this week, we find out about a TBM Avenger that decided to go for a swim. Uh, A V-22 Osprey redesigns a helicopter landing pad and the US Air Force deploys a major exercise force to Poland. So joining me this week over in the PTUK studios is of course the legend of master of all things tech. Indeed, yes. Hello, everyone. Hello. How are we all? How are we all? Lovely. I'll tell you what's been in 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 boring old UK. It's been. It must have been one of the warmest days of the year today. Surely, ish. Until the sun started to go down, man. It's blooming cold outside now. Mind you, it was a frost first thing, wasn't there? So I suppose it sort of of swings and roundabouts, isn't it? You get a lovely clear night and a beautiful day, but uh, unfortunately. Uh, because it's April, apparently um, we I, still have frosts. <laughs> I must must say I, I'm I'm very much loving the whole heated seat uh, option in the van. Oh, the new van. Yes, the, the new, new van. van. Yeah, I okay. think I think the heated seat option is such worn out good. already. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Now on the subject of heated seats, uh, and I'm sure that uh, uh, this gentleman has several of them in his uh, yellow banana. Uh, Nev, hello. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> standard fit uh, and also the heated <laughs> steering wheel as well oh. okay. you know that thing we were talking about earlier by the way carlos you're now so loud in comparison to everyone else I can't oh right okay we'll, we'll adjust that you know a little bit of live editing uh, bear with children uh, <laughs> sorry nev you were saying yes no that's all right no but the, the heated steering wheel is great but the only thing is the makes the gear lever rather cold so i need to oh, find I a see. way of heating that up as well right i mean i i i, I sort of assumed that you were somebody who would who would have driving gloves i don't know why I, I'm not quite. Leather, leather <laughs> dragon gloves. Yeah, I, just, I don't know. Sheepskin. I just had sheepskin dragon. Yeah, well, gloves. absolutely. Yes, yes. Uh, you know. Yes. Uh, and uh, moving on to our uh, our awesome fourth member of the hosting team is, of course, the man who wears a woolly hat and scarf and goggles when he goes flying. It's of course Armando <laughs> Biggles. Sorry. That's great. I was wondering where you were going with that, Carlos. <laughs> yeah. As as where we all. I'll be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, happy to be back for another week. Yeah, good to have you back. I'm under, uh, things are starting to get very, very busy for you right now, aren't they? Yeah, like I mentioned last week, there's a lot of studying going on, lots of uh, managing time management skills being employed, trying to figure out what to study, when to study, and then uh, I think tomorrow morning is uh, it's go time. So I go into training, head out to California, and uh, start flying that beautiful machine. Now, 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 Nev, obviously, uh, because, uh, you know, work is uh, back with a vengeance, it seems, uh, at the moment for you. I mean, I I assume you had to redo your type rating on the banana, did you not? Yeah, that's right. I've forgotten how to drive the thing. Uh, (laughs) But, uh, yes, a mere 524 miles this week uh, in the machine, uh, which was great. And, uh, no, we are are back. Not flying yet, uh, but I think that will come next month all being well but uh, no we can go and see real customers again rather than doing teams and zoom meetings oh i say smashing what a treat Armando, i'm gonna ask you a question and it's one that's been on my mind for about a week or two now about this training you're going in into obviously we we all left school a few years ago didn't we 
and uh, college or whatever. Um, Where's he going with this, Nev? Not, not as many from Armando because he's obviously a lot younger than we all are. Um, but is it hard to get back into that whole mindset of learning again? Uh, yes. And so I think I've mentioned it before. I was a pretty terrible student. Like really, really <laughs> bad. Um, I, I did not have those study habits when I was a kid really until my 20 mid 20s where I, where I actually learned how to study but anybody in aviation whether you're a cabin crew or in the front end it's just non-stop you're always going for some kind of check whether it's instrument recurrency aircraft recurrency uh, you're getting an, another rating another endorsement you're you just never stop studying so you just kind of figure out how the right amount of cramming to do uh, with you know, with, uh, with your schedules and, and continuing to fly. But I, I don't think, I don't think we're the only ones. I think there's many professions like that. I think, you know, Megan works in, in the healthcare industry and there's always continuing education uh, happening in the middle of your job and everything. So I, I think, I think a lot of people are used to that, just uh, always studying for something. <laughs> As if you need to study, I, you, know, you know, all anyway. Oh, no, that is yeah, you be further from the truth. Hey, honestly, <laughs> but um, so before we move on with the news, we are going to do our uh, caption competition at the uh, top of the show for a change this week. And uh, for those of you who follow us on social media, such as Facebook, will know that uh, we've started doing a little uh, just for fun caption competition each week where we read out uh, uh, the winners on the show, or not the winners, but anyone on the show, uh, for the amusing captions that have been made on the picture. So this week's picture that uh, Matt will pop up on the screen in the moment, I expect, um, features a rather interesting new Airbus concept <laughs> aircraft that um, is, right. is going into production this week. And uh, we had a few uh, um, humorous captions left on our Facebook page. Um, but so don't forget, if you are going to so, follow or if you follow us on Facebook, don't forget to check out each week um, during the week for this. So for those who are listening uh, on the audio version of the show, obviously the picture is on our Facebook page. So you can you can see that. But just describe for those who don't have time I'm to under, check, just describe this picture to our audio listeners. <laughs> well, it's definitely a wide body. Right. Um, In what right. sense? It's because it's a well, lot taller than it is wide. <laughs> it's wide body compared to its length. Uh, and we are talking about an airplane here, so it's, I don't know, what would you say? It's from, uh, it's got the right wing span, the engines are in the correct place, it's got a single door, the whole aircraft is maybe 30 feet long, and about <laughs> 39 feet tall, right. with with the rudder. It's just an A3, it's, Google it, Google it, it's an Airbus A3. <laughs> There you go. So now had... you're going to have to go over to YouTube and look at the pictures. Wow. Okay. I mean, oh. it's just like, I mean, I've got never. This is bringing back memories of 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 my youth. I don't know about you of of the old cut and shuts. <laughs> yes, actually, it looks a little bit like. I mean, it's an extreme version, but the A318 that BA used to operate out of London City Airport to JFK via Shannon. Um, the A318 is a very short. Um, uh, Airbus, and uh, but it does look a little bit. I, I know a very extreme version. I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, it, it did remind me a little bit of that. I must say, very good. Actually, okay. uh, Dirk, Dirk in the chat room has said it's uh, it's a new four-person Airbus business jet. Right, <laughs> a bad one. Okay. 
Um, but we have had some uh, captions uh, left on our Facebook page, and uh, we'll go through. We'll take one each, shall we, guys, for a change. And uh, the first one comes to us from David, who says, I shrank in the wash. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, Nev, do you, want, do you want to take the next one, Nev? Yes. Uh, Laura's written in, and she says, you've seen our short haul service, now introducing our short, short haul service. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Armando. Oh, this one's from Laura. You've seen our short haul oh, service. Oh, oh no, just, sorry. Just the, <laughs> the, the new SafeJets fleet, combining the best bits of Al's A320 and Pip's Finum. That was from Steve, that one. <laughs> and Matt, so what's Glenn saying? Uh, Glenn says, uh, Airbus has unveiled a new BizJet. I think uh, yeah, with the four people, I think that's, mm. that, that, that's clearly a given. <laughs> um, John um, is going a bit uh, kind of European for this one. He says, IKEA engineers go into uh, aircraft <laughs> flat pack builds. They had a few parts left over. Right, yes. <laughs> so very good on that one. But uh, thanks to everyone who's uh, commented on that in the, uh, on the Facebook page. But we're going to put another one up next week, so keep your eyes peeled on there. And uh, on the note of Facebook and YouTube and everything like that, we're going to say a quick hello to everyone in the YouTube chat room this evening. So we've got, let's have a look who we got in there this week. <laughs> Sorry, before you oh, do that, is on. one of the things that was, uh, uh, Lee Davies is just saying in the chat room here, he's saying that uh, A318 equals minibus, or as we like to refer to it, the baby bus. <laughs> Actually, that's what uh, very often ATC at Heathrow used to refer to um, the A319 as the minibus uh, and the A318 as the baby bus. I think I'm right in saying Adam will uh, will correct me, I'm sure, but I'm, I'm definitely certain I've heard that over the ATC. In the oh. oh, well, there we go. Indeed. Sorry. Anyway, Carlos, do carry anyway, on. Anyway, so let's, let's see who's in there. We've got Lee Davies, uh, who was in there really early again this evening. Say hello to you, Lee. Uh, we have got Richard Adams. Uh, we've got Lane Street. Obviously, got to have Lane in the chat room. Uh, we've got Auntie Liz. Hello to you, Liz. Hope you're well. Nick Codling is in there. Laura Davis is also joined us tonight. Uh, just scrolling down. We've got On Wings and Rails. Hello to you. Uh, Dirk S, our main man, Micah, is also in the chat room this evening. Uh, Masha's in the chat room. Hello to you, Masha. And uh, we have got, uh, let me scroll down. Um, who else do I see? Oh, Sturman. Hello to you, Sturman. Captain Cruz has there. joined us as well. Captain Cruz as well is in there as well. So welcome to you and welcome to everyone who has joined us on this stream this evening. And don't forget, if you are listening to the audio version of the show and you want to find us on YouTube, just check us out at uh, Plain Talking UK on YouTube. Hit the subscribe button. Don't forget, guys, if you haven't already done it and you're on, you follow us on YouTube, don't forget to hit that subscribe button on our YouTube page. And also, if you want to be notified when we go live, don't forget to click the bell icon, which is right next store and you'll be notified when we go live and record new episodes like we are right now because we'd love to have you in that chat room yeah because absolutely. the chat room is where it is That's absolutely it yeah definitely and and uh, shaping the conversation literally of mm. of how the show goes oh very much so the chat room definitely shapes the conversation each week yeah man. or am i stealing that from lbc i'm not sure anyway <laughs> <laughs> anyway it's time to kick off uh, this week as we do with some commercial news so if everyone's ready Oh, yes. Let's go. So 
So kicking off this week's first news story, shocking headline. This one, this comes from uh, AJC.com. Never thought I'd read this, oh hey. China Airport passes Hartsfield-Jackson as the world's busiest in passengers. Now, I always thought that uh, Hartsfield-Jackson was like the busiest airport in the world. It is when I plan on next plane anyway. Uh, so as travel plummeted around the globe in 2020, an airport in China overtook Hartsfield-Jackson International to become the world's busiest passenger airport in traffic. Uh, that title now belongs to Gangzhou Bai Yun International Airport, say that after a few whiskies. It's the first time in more than two decades uh, the Atlanta airport didn't record the highest passenger count, according to preliminary world airport traffic rankings released on Thursday. However, Hartsfield-Jackson was the busiest airport as measured by flight count, taking that title back from Chicago O'Hare. For passenger counts, seven of the ten busiest airports in the world over the pandemic year of 2020 were in China. Uh, statistics from the Airports Council International show um, that China staged a recovery earlier than the rest of the world in a vast country with a population of nearly 1.4 billion and has a substantial domestic travel market to draw on. Meanwhile, international travel has remained largely shut, as we all know, due to COVID-19. Feel free to drink. Uh, Gangzhou handled 43.8 million passengers in 2020 uh, blimey wow well hartsfield jackson handled uh, 42.9 million down from 110.5 million in 2019 atlanta officials have long prized the world's busiest title which hartsfield jackson has held since 1998 for passenger counts uh, so for flight counts hartsfield jackson's 548,016 bested Chicago O'Hare's 538,211 last year. Atlanta had a 39.4% decline in flights, while Chicago O'Hare had a 41.5% decline in flight numbers. Um, so, yeah, obviously this is your side of the uh, world, Armando, and you'll probably best know if um, obviously these figures are true, which they obviously are, but uh, I'm guessing things are slightly more quieter your side of the pond. Well, the numbers don't lie. So if mm. uh, if uh, Guangzhou Airport had the most number of passengers going through it, uh, you know, as the article said, certainly they they their recovery for the domestic market was uh, a little bit faster than ours uh, here in the United States. I was I was in Atlanta, so I was Atlanta based uh, for the large part of 2020, and. I saw this firsthand where I think, uh, you know, March, April of last year, it was it was dead. There was there was no air traffic coming in and out of there. And as I flew throughout the year, I could see it getting increasingly uh, more uh, or, or busier there in Atlanta um, with the the aircraft movements, as they said, you know, actually were better than Chicago O'Hare. But uh Hey, 2020 is is one of those years that uh, well is the year that we're all just gonna forget. So um, I'm sure I have no doubt that in 2021 Atlanta Hartsfield will be back at the top of the list for for passenger movements. My mum had a, a similar procedure, by the way, which involved her 40th, where she went 38, 39, 40, 40, 39, 38. So I think she's in her mid 20s now. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> See, 2020 is good yeah. for yeah, some I, things. I think we should do the same thing. I think we should do, you know, it's like, so we, we went sort of like, we went 2019 and then like, you know, we'll perhaps start going backwards from now. So we're all getting younger. I like it. 
Yeah. Yeah. I'll just keep shaving my head. Nobody will be able to tell the difference. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) quite. Now Nev needs to shave his head. (laughs) Oh, dear. Yes, well, he's had a haircut uh, last week. Well, yes. Long overdue. The, and, the, jo- uh, the joys of the restrictions being lifted a little tiny yeah. bit here in the UK. Absolutely, Absolutely. very yeah, exciting. Yeah, I definitely look the oldest here. Anyway, moving on uh, to the next one. This, my, uh, my, my beard is doing you some huge <laughs> favours because there's a lot of white in it at the moment. So, uh, uh, and, I, and I'm fresh out of the Grecian 2000 or whatever it is that you do. <laughs> just, for, just for men. Is anyway, it? Right, wasted yes. on me then. Uh, all right, okay, story number two is on oh, thebusinessinsider.com and uh, the headline is Video Shows a Woman Dragged by hair and flight attendants punched during a mass brawl uh, about overhead lockers so we'll play the video because we do actually have it i'll play the video for you in a moment but uh, footage captured on board uh, uh is it tunis air yeah tunis, tunis air, air yeah. flight uh, which is uh, refreshing frankly because usually it's ryanair so uh, wow uh oh no jet two isn't it is where the fights yeah, usually break it. out isn't it yeah absolutely anyway so uh tunis air flight shows a brawl involving uh, numerous passengers shortly before a plane was due to take off the incident took place on saturday april 10th uh on the flight uh tu216 flight from istanbul airport to tunis Uh, International Airport. Uh, It is said to have been caused by a dispute over overhead lockers, uh, Business News reported. Bickering turned into violence after uh, passengers refused to pay extra fees to store their baggage, a witness told the website. In the video, several passengers can be heard screaming, pushing each other and attempting to hit people in the face. Well, it sounds like such fun. Uh, Other people on the plane uh, can be heard shouting as the brawl gets progressively more violent. At one point, a man drags a woman by her hair uh, and then punches her in the head. Flight attendants from Tunis Air can be seen trying to intervene to stop the chaos but get caught up in the mayhem. Uh, Crew members were insulted and physically attacked by passengers, a Tunis Air spokesman told Business News. Uh, This uh, fight caused a delay of five hours and financial losses were suffered by the company, the spokesman added, an investigation is ongoing, according to multiple reports. Now, this is one because do, do this is going to sound like a slightly odd question, but do um, do aircraft have cameras on board? No, yeah, just the yeah, passengers. Not, not usually, no. No, no I, the trouble is, it's like one of these because it'd be one of those situations, isn't it, where you want to sort of study the CCTV footage to find out exactly who started it, who was involved. Well, because you don't need it, it. There's 134 iPhones. <laughs> well, that's true. Um, I, but it just seems a little bit unfair that Tunis Air obviously would have been quite heavily penalised for late departures and all that kind of thing. I mean, I, I, my gut reaction is that the people who were involved in the fight should be the ones paying for that. Oh, I, I'd imagine they, they, whoever was involved in this probably paid fairly um, heavily for their actions after yeah. seeing seeing what happened on this flight, I, I, I watched the video a couple of times and I just thought, "Wow, this is you know I've seen fight videos before on aircraft, but this is this is like beyond." There's not much social distancing going on, is there? No, no, I must say. Indeed, uh, the video. Uh, there's a there's a YouTube uh, version of this video, which we will make sure is included in the show notes for those who are listening on the audio version and would like to have. It. But uh, I mean, it's it's. Um, it's picking up pace, I think, is the best way to describe. I mean, let's let's not forget this. This fight was over an overhead bin. Right. Okay. I mean, but is it because somebody asked the big? Because it said in the story about people having to being asked to put stuff underneath. 
Mm. Um, so they f the, the the fight broke out because somebody was asked to put something underneath. I mean, I mean the the fact that they at one point um, on the video, if you watch it, that a member of the the um, cabin crew yeah, actually got punched punched in the face. I think I think that's outrageous. that's when. Whoa, happen. my goodness yeah. me! Yeah. And the, yeah, the cabin crew there are trying to stop the this gentleman who's pulling yeah. the, the lady by her hair. Um, I mean, it's just horrendous, isn't it? It's it's mm -hmm. not a... It's just it's just awful, isn't it? It really is. Um, uh, I think there's certainly some cultural dynamics at play here also. <laughs> yeah. That we're, yeah, yeah. We're not used to seeing in the West, but this is... Out of all of these that we've played out and shown the videos, this is probably one of the more violent... Absolutely. I, yeah, I, is, it, is this still at the gate at the moment? Yeah, this this was still at the gate now. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, if you were the if you were the captain on this flight, Armando, I mean, I'm guessing you would have probably offloaded. Deplane everybody. Yeah. Yep. Deplane everybody, and I I don't know. I, I I'm sure we could probably dig a little bit more. I don't know what they actually did with this, but um, at that point, my my response would not be to bring law enforcement on board. It would just be to say, okay, everybody's getting off. And then take it out of the airplane and 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 put everybody in the terminal where you have a little bit more room to move about and and control the situation. But inside the airplane, it's very difficult for the cabin crew to to move about, you know, and mm. and and get to the aggressors or really do anything. And they're not, you know, most cabin crew are trained to deal with emergency situations, but they're certainly not going to get into the middle of a brawl like that no. and risk getting hurt themselves. So you just kind of let it all play out and. Yeah, usually, you know, it, I, I think Captain Nick has, has has talked about this. Usually, when the captain gets out of the of the flight deck and they have their uniform and their hat on, they usually kind of puts a situation like yeah. dad co coming into the room, you know, and yeah. saying, "Okay, <laughs> enough now, jo children." Uh, yeah. uh, John Hutchinson, uh, our friend and former Concord captain, has said he had one situation where he had to get out of the get out of his seat and uh put his jacket and his uh hat on and uh, it did make a difference um but of course these days uh, crew are encouraged or flight crew at least encouraged very much not to uh get out of the uh, their seats because frankly speaking they're not trained to deal with these situations no. but the cabin crew are having said that this has escalated to a point of absolutely horrific uh, levels i would say i agree yeah lo I lots agree. of comments in the chat room actually um from uh, some funny but some serious ones as well um so yeah lee davis says think they were angry about the football soccer european super league <laughs> one lee like that one um, <laughs> well, that's, um that's verging on being topical quick uh, put that in the Ra show <laughs> rakon uh, rakon says ERS would be a possible solution. Emergency relaxation spray. Right. Okay. Like well, is is there such a thing? Oh, you, well, uh, Richard chloroform, says, I suppose. Uh, yeah. What? No cattle prods. Cattle yes. Prods yeah. Cat cattle prods are clearly the answer. Yes. Um, but um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's not uh, it's not good. It's not a good situation to be in if you're uh, if you're crew. Especially when, obviously, like you guys said, you know, most crew these days are told not to, not to um, get involved. I like I like Masha's comment actually, which is uh, where where she said that uh, one more reason to go with the bald look, no hair pulling in a fight that way. I mean that that that's yeah. clearly a solution. Hey, Armando, yeah. wade in. You know, you, you'll, you'll be fine. That's, that's not how I'm going to get dragged down in a fight. <laughs> 
I, do you know, Armando? I, I mean, you are. Prob- I think. I think I speak for everyone here where I say you are officially like one of the nicest people I've ever met. But if I was ever, if 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 I ever saw you in a fight, I know who my money would be on. <laughs> oh God, no! I don't know how to fight. <laughs> I'm an airplane nerd. I can't. I, I would survive a fight with a with a cocker spaniel. Yeah, just remind me how many years it was you were in the air force. <laughs> 21, but it was the Air Force. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, right. So you can shoot them out of the sky, no problem. Easy peasy. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're, we're a bit averse to conflict. We just send the officers off. Hey, you guys go, go take care of business. We're going to be right here by the coffee shop. Call, call when you're 20 minutes out. Right. Okay. And on that bombshell. So, uh, Nev, Nev, the next, next story is uh, all about the, the fabulous iPhone. It is. And speaking of phones, I'd just like to say that the uh, video quality on that previous item uh, I would describe as poor at best due to vertical video, poor colour ban- balance and uh, lack of picture. Right. OK. Duly noted. I'll, I'll try harder next week. If no, you sorry. Mind, just sorry. That, right. Yes, I'll pass that uh, on to mean- our media team. <laughs> <Yeah>. Meanwhile, <laughs> back on flightglobal.com, uh, it says that investigators are recommending that the UK CAA require that passenger seat designs minimise the possibility of portable electronic devices being crushed after a fire incident on board a BA 787-9 operating into London Heathrow. But the Air Accident Investigation Branch acknowledges difficulties in eliminating, uh, in eliminating entirely the risk of such events. There are currently no seat design requirements to prevent electronic devices becoming trapped in seats, it says. Manufacturers and regulators are aware of this issue, but it has proven challenging to find a workable solution. Uh, the European Union Aviation Safety Agency has taken action to derive new design criteria and practices, but as the UK is no longer an EASA member, a separate inquiry by the AAIB to the CAA is being made. The seat involved in the BA incident was designed around 10 years ago. The aircraft had been nearing top of descent, some 40 minutes from Heathrow, following a service from Miami on the 1st of October last year. After the passenger awoke and returned her flatbed seat to an upright position, she left for the washroom whilst a flight attendant stowed the bedding. Uh, the flight attendant noticed that the, uh, the end of the plugged-in charging cable was tucked down the side of the seat and shortly afterwards heard a hissing sound and saw grey smoke emanating from the seat as well as an orange glow never a good thing. No. Uh, two cabin crew members having pulled uh, back seating p- uh, padding located a device trapped in the seat mechanism and used a BCF extinguisher on it whilst the third attendant contacted the cockpit crew. Uh, the cabin crew attempted to remove the device but it was jammed and there was very little heat coming from the device said the inquiry but given that the situation appeared under control the pilots operate, uh, opted to continue to Heathrow but requested firefighter attendance on landing. Investigators point out that BA's operation manual uh, permits use of personal elect- uh, electronic devices throughout the flight, but they must not be charged whilst the passenger is sleeping and must be switched off and disconnected from seat power when not in use. The UK CAA's mandatory occurrence database listed 166 previous reports of devices trapped in passenger seats, with 42 resulting in fire or smoke 
over the past five years. Well, we all like a good uh, lithium battery fire, don't we? Mm. And uh, of course, we know with this battery technology, whilst this is you know highly reliable, uh, if it does uh, catch light, uh, yeah. it is they're mm. pretty difficult to put out. Um, so uh, Lane has a, a suggestion for us, by the way. Uh, oh, good. Here's a solution: keep track of your flipping foam. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. Uh, but I think he, I think that this is a very good point though because it is very easy in these seats, especially the the lie flat ones on on BA to uh, to lose your phone because there's not a lot of room and there's you're trying to cram a lot of mm. stuff in. But uh, yeah, it's uh, th this is going to be an ongoing problem. I think definitely. Yeah, Laura suggested the hissing sound means that it's working apparently. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> Yeah, in, in, in response to Rykon's uh, comment in the chat room as to whether there's no safe box or handling equipment, there actually usually is. There's usually at least, and especially on an airliner this size, at least two thermal runaway bag bags that are uh, big enough for a laptop to get thrown in. But the, the, the thing is, you got to fish it out of the seat <laughs> as it's hissing and sparking at you like a cobra. And uh, <laughs> nobody wants to do that. And there's usually gloves, too. They're just look like big oven mittens, um, but again, you got to fish it out of there first before the uh, cushion catches fire or anything like that. But uh, I did actually. Yeah, we... I, I on a on a, a coach, uh, believe it or not, I did have a similar incident once uh, involving uh, one of the the battery packs. You know, the like the you know what that you can use to top oh, it up. Yeah. And it was, I think, it was like. The the phone companies went through a phase where they used to give you like a, a battery pack, didn't they, for your phone? And I think this one, uh, in particular, was an EE one. And uh, to be fair, it hadn't even been trapped in anything. It was just literally present and and on on the coach. And then suddenly we could hear this. Well, it was the smell that that gave it away first of all, because you know, as anybody who's had a that that electrical smell is quite a unique smell, isn't it? Uh, that uh, thing, and we ended up just taking in front of where we were parked. There was just like a, a concrete pad that we just basically sort of put it there and just let it let it burn. Um, but yeah, that was quite scary. Yeah, and as the article states, you you would think they would be able to come up with some kind of seat design like you see on on terrestrial public transport, you know, like trains or anything like that. So they probably have the same problems. Uh, uh, Richard Adams in the chat room is uh, saying to uh, to Nev, "Don't you have staff to uh, proffer your phone in a silver tray when you're in seat one A, Nev?" Absolutely no. I think this was the, again. It's the, to do with the cutbacks. You know, it, it's it's uh, they're right. all over the shop at the moment. Quite <laughs> yes. Okay, there we are. It's uh, that's what we like here on the show, isn't it? We've we've always got our head firmly in the clouds, haven't we? Oh. <laughs> before before we before all us guys get stressed out, let's move on to the next story, Armando. Okay, this is a uh, topic that's kind of near and dear to me. This is a study from, or the, the website is pressandjournal.co.uk, and there's a new study that warns that pilots could be underestimating the risk of flying while stressed. Uh, the findings contrast with guidance from flight safety authorities, which state that stress can compromise pilots' performance. Uh, pilots on general aviation flights, the largest and most dangerous category of the flight uh, of flight in the UK. Uh, they frequently fly for recreational or business purposes and, unlike commercial pilots, often fly alone. Risk perception and management are therefore key areas of research vital to safety improvement. A team of researchers from the university's Applied uh, Psychology and Human Factors group, led by Dr. Amy Irwin, set out to examine the risk perception of general aviation pilots and how 
This impacts decision-making in relation to takeoff, specifically in deciding whether or not it's safe to take off. Uh, the team presented 101 pilots with a series of 12 takeoff scenarios across four categories, compromised performance, uh, pilot stress, fatigue, or illness, environmental hazards, which are thunderstorms, ice, wind, faulty equipment, power, noise, airspeed indicators, and missing equipment, whether it's checklists, sunglasses, and seatbelts. Pilots were then asked to, if they would proceed in each scenario and explain their reasoning. So Dr. Irwin said the pilots' reasoning for their decisions suggests that although they were aware of the risks while flying, while ill or tired, the pilots considered flight to be a stress-relieving activity. And so they were less likely to cancel a flight based on being under stress. This is despite guidance from aviation regulatory bodies such as the FAA, indicating that stress can potentially compromise flight performance. General aviation pilots are generally safety conscious, but not all risks are considered equal. So it is important to highlight the potential impact of stress on flight safety going forward to encourage pilots to consider the risks of flying stressed. The more we know about how and why general aviation pilots make decisions and manage risk, the better we are to, the better able we are to develop interventions and training solutions to improve safety. Based on their research, it seems apparent that training and the, on the impact of stress on cognition and performance would be useful along with training in situation assessment and the validity of various risk management strategies. This particular study was uh, published in the Journal of Aviation Psychology and Applied Human Factors, as I said before. Um, yeah. So my advice ahead. for anyone who's stressed, by the way, is uh, you need to a watch this show and b always make sure that uh, Lane Street is in the chat room um, as uh, something he's picked out from the details that you read out there uh, was that 101 pilots was Cruella de Vil around. I mean, that's uh, I think that's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And there's this other guy in the chat room that said pilot fatigue 101. Right. Oh, wait, that's Nev. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what's he doing over there? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. You know. It's, okay, so here's my take on this. So aviation, as we always say, is an inherently risky endeavor. Uh, no flight, whether everything is working correctly, is without risk. And much of aviation is about risk management. Um, now, I agree with them in that um, increasingly personal stressors are are at the forefront of the risk management decision matrix. Um, we are used to minimum equipment lists, to weather decisions, uh, it just doesn't feel right, operational decisions. Um, but more and more, we are educating pilots and air crews on the emotional side of, of flying. And I used to teach motorcycle, uh, motorcycle classes, and it was the same there. It's a risky activity, and you may get in a fight at home. And a lot of people look at that activity as a way to relieve some stress, go out and ride a motorcycle. Well, there are plenty of studies that show that it is almost as dangerous as, as riding drunk, or in this case, flying uh, under some sort of impairment, because your, your reaction times aren't quite the same, your mind's just not completely in it. And there are some aircraft out there that require constant attention, even in level crews. 
And uh, I think it's important to continue. And I think the FAA specifically has done a good job of, of uh, highlighting this as, as a, uh, a, dis, a, a factor in your risk management process pre-flight mm. before you even leave the house. Yeah. It's um, it, it, stress is one of those things, isn't it? That uh, uh, some levels of stress are good for you, aren't they? Because they, they, it sort of helps to keep you on your toes and stuff. But they, you do reach a point, don't you, where if you're not careful, once you've got that, you get that bad mix of fatigue and and stress, and it, it's uh, you become waspy and all sorts, don't you? You're sort of busy shouting, yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah. And and that that's not the sort of environment you want to find yourself in when you're in the cockpit, is it? That's it. And, and you're, you're exactly right, Matt. Under one of the concepts of crew resource management is uh, workload performance. And you need that little bit of stress to keep you on your toes. Mm, yeah, um, especially, you know, you're talking long haul flights or you're talking a, a transit flight. In the case of the military, it was you take off, like you, pre, you pre-plan the mission, you take off, you're on your game, and then you have three hours before you go into a tactical scenario. Those three hours are a danger period in which your your workload performance is is in a trough and uh it could put potentially be a factor in in response and your response to a challenge or a or a uh, something going wrong indeed indeed yes don't be stressed when flying that's the answer. absolutely i mean are you often stressed when you're flying your simulator carlos mm. Depends if I forget something when I'm doing the, the pre-flight, which I have done in the past. But <laughs> I, I'm getting better at that. The, the, okay. the only mistake I did make, as I think I've said on the show before, was when I when I forgot to set the um, the uh, cabin pressure, you know, the pressurization system. <laughs> okay, isn't, isn't your idea of pre-flight, Carlos? You know, cracking open a tin of brood or something. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Real question, Carlos. Though, uh, yeah, and yeah. I, I know, I know, you know, John is not with us today to keep us on track on time. Um, <sighs> but, but, real question: When you are stressed, do you go to the sim to fly to to relieve some stress? And if so, why? I'm going to say, I'm going to actually say, if I am having a bit of a rubbish a, day, a, a pooey day, yeah. yeah, a pooey day, I must admit when I fit you know put the sim together in here and and go for a flight and and do what i do with the list and stuff like that it is a really good way of unwinding it really does take away clearly clearly this is where i'm going wrong you know because uh, when i'm really stressed out the first thing i do is reach for a chocolate bar clearly that's where i'm going wrong Yeah, perhaps you, 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 when I set the sim, I'm going to have the sim set up tomorrow if you want to pop around and have a quick flight. Mate. I'm not allowed, am I? The rules oh, are lifted yawn, yet. Yawn, yawn. Oh, um, <laughs> I can go, uh, If you want to set it up in your garden, I'm up for it. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I'll just go and get the 85-inch screen from work and bring yeah, that home. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I don't see a problem with that. <laughs> anyway, anyway. No, but yes, Armando, yeah, in the answer to your question, I, I, it does. it's a really good stress relief, funnily enough. Um doing that so yeah that's oh, a point i just need a real airplane yeah i do oh, yeah. No. if anyone's got a spare 737 800 <laughs> lying around just right, okay uh-huh. um right, moving on to the next story this uh, this next story is uh, quite an interesting story especially for someone who lives here in this house with me and i'm not talking about poppy uh this one comes to us from the travel and leisure.com website and uh, for anyone who's got a spare thirty nine thousand dollars just laying <laughs> down the back of 
the sofa in the front room. Um, you can treat yourselves to a, this is just bizarre, a Louis Vuitton bag that is in the shape of an aircraft. So Louis Vuitton has long been synonymous with luxury travel thanks to its trunks, bags and carry-ons that have been by the side of the rich and famous on their private jets for decades. And now Virgil Abloh, the brand's men's creative director, is taking that travel meets luxury pairing to new heights with the airplane bag. So in January, Abelot unveiled the design of a new bag shaped like an aeroplane, outstretched with wings and even engines. Uh, the bag is finally hitting the shelves and going viral, thanks not only to its design, but also its $39,000 price tag. <laughs> As many on social media pointed out, at that price, you could choose to purchase an actual Cessna aircraft yourself and still have money left over. But why would you when you could own your own Louis Vuitton bag made with supple leather, its signature hardware and some hidden metal banding to keep the wings aloft? And when the bag is most certainly for show, it does still have some function as it comes with a zipper opening so the wearer can store a few goodies in the cockpit guys i mean <laughs> well i was trying to work out whether that was a, a bae 146 or a um, c130 or, only or, you I, I couldn't actually work out what it was right. i i have to say for someone who, who does she does love her louis vuitton stuff i did show the picture to Gemma last night and she she said if you ever brought me that then the the, the door is not far from here. I mean, I think that's more the fact that if you ever if you ever bought a that and you spent thirty nine thousand pounds on something <laughs> like that, I think it was more the reason why you got the door. But, uh, uh, Lee Davis is saying actually in the chat room the A three is smaller. <laughs> so from the <laughs> yeah, I had yeah. one in my shopping cart, but I had to take it out because I spent oh. all my disposable income on the BA crockery set. Um, oh right, okay, yes, I. <laughs> No, that's a joke. Uh, ne Nev is Nev is why never Nev is uh, very very much keen on your first answer. Uh, <laughs> Lane Lane loves the bag. He says expensive and ugly too. <laughs> yeah, he's clearly very impressed, isn't he? Yeah. Oh, but if you uh, if you're listening to the audio show and you take yourselves over to uh, to our video stream on YouTube, you can see this picture on here. But Matt will probably put these in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, the, the links will all be in the show notes. Um, so, yeah. But anyway, moving on to the next story. Nev, it, this the uh, this is good. Yeah. The Royals oh. are are going simming. It is, and it's on the dailymail.co.uk website, and it says that the Duchess of Cambridge reconnected with her family's long history in aviation as she tried her hand on a flight simulator during a visit to a cadet centre whilst Prince William held her handbag. Uh, oh. William, who learned to fly with the RAF and piloted the service's search and rescue helicopters, joked, this is going to be interesting, as he watched Kate, 39, take the controls of the light aircraft simulator during a visit in East London. The prince said, I'll hold the handbag. Kate's father, Michael, 71, uh, worked as a commercial pilot and flight dispatcher uh, for British Airways, whilst her mother, Carol, 66, 
was a BA flight attendant. Meanwhile, in a striking coincidence, uh, the Duchess of Cambridge, uh, Cambridge's uh, parental grandfather, Peter, accompanied the Duke of Edinburgh during his royal flying tour of South America in 1962. Uh, the couple who are officially still in royal mourning have been given special permission by the Queen to visit the centre in honour of her husband who served as Air Commodore-in-Chief of the Air Training Corps for 63 years. Uh, the Duke passed his military patronage to the Duchess of Cambridge in 2015. She is known as the Honorary Air Commandant because of her civilian background. Uh, on the command, three cheers for Her Royal Highness, uh, the Duke, uh, sorry, His Royal Highness, the Duke of Edinburgh. Uh, the cadets gave a rousing hip hip hooray. Uh, William and Kate's visit was designed for them to hear more about how the air cadets support young people to develop vital life skills. Yeah, the, uh, established in 1941, the Air Cadets is a UK-wide cadet force with more than 32,000 members aged between 12 and 19 years old. Sponsored by the Royal Air Force, the Air Cadets provides hands-on experience that challenge and develop skills among young people to help them succeed, encourage in the spirit and adventure and develop qualities of leadership and good citizenship. So. 282 East Ham Squadron supports more than 60 cadets to gain skills and qualifications across a wide variety of different disciplines from aviation, cyber and radio communications to adventure training, music, first aid and air experience flying gliding and a space syllabus as well. Uh, group Captain Al Lewis said of the visit that uh, it was a really unique experience and the cadets uh, only found out an hour before they arrived. Given that we haven't had much activity over the last years, it was a real morale boost. Uh, he says I was. Uh, it was wonderful for them as well to see the, uh, the real legacy that of the Duke of Edinburgh left um, to them. Uh, he spoke of the Duke about whether he was still flying. He said he was very keen to try and keep his flying hours up. He clearly misses the flying profession. It was interesting to see as well the Duchess get in the simulator instead of him, uh, he said. Uh, she did very well, he said. He was goading it all the way, saying, well, it's not as easy as it seems. It's a lovely video as well. I, I bet she and, made it um, look really easy. I, she I bet had that, a <laughs> real good go of it, bless her. I'll tell yeah. you what, genuinely though, Carlos, having seen your... not, I've not seen it in the flesh yet, because obviously you, you uh, purchased said... Uh, uh, simulator in in lockdown, so I haven't had the pleasure yet. But essentially, the only thing that looks different between what what she was having a go at there was a, a, like a silly pod that they put round her that made yes. it difficult for you to get in. So uh, that's what clearly what you need for your little office there is some kind of seven three seven pod. That yeah. uh, you know, I mean, you, you you know someone in in the trade. I mean, perhaps Andrew can help you with a. <laughs> I was going to say, don't worry, he's working on it. Yeah, I was oh, going to no, say, no, yeah, no, absolutely. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, oh, what a what a great story! As I say, there's a lot of uh, doom and gloom there, but uh, it's uh, it's uh, nice to see sort of a, a nice story. As I say, and it is. I, I I feel that that Kate will have absolutely nailed that and and put everyone else to shame. That's what she I reckon. Did. Yeah, probably did. Yeah. Well, and in addition to that, too, you just can't say enough about the Air Cadet Corps, huh? Like, does I, that was my favorite part when I would take the Osprey over to Riyadh or any of the air shows. You know, it was actually the Air Cadets that would always ask the most challenging questions. Oh, and really? They seemed, yeah, they always seemed to be the most interested and know the most about the aircraft, and they would ask. Oh, you know, I so I love air shows and I love uh, displaying our aircraft and our capabilities, but it was really having the same 90 second conversation about 300 times a day. 
So when you get a really smart air cadet that that shows up, um, it's just fun to talk to them. And and we would usually take the, we wouldn't put everybody in the in the cockpit in the pilot and co-pilot seats, but um, for them we would we would usually say, hey, if you if you hang out a little bit a little bit longer, we're gonna we'll put the velvet rope up and the rope up and uh, and you guys can climb into the cockpit and take some pictures. So uh, really, the the air cadets, uh, what a great organization over there in the UK. And your 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 equivalent in the US, um, just refresh our memories. Uh, we have we have sort of two. One is the Civil Air Patrol, and the other one is Air Force Junior uh, ROTC. Nice. There we go. Armando, you've got the uh, the last story, and this uh, this is quite interesting. Yeah, the uh, you know when I first saw the story, the outside of this RV doesn't look like much, but the inside, you got to admit, he's put a lot of the work into it. This this story is from thedrive.com. Uh, last summer, the demand for RV rentals saw an unprecedented 650% surge as Americans sought ways to vacation without crossing the paths of other people. Uh, because because of because the cause thereof still haunts us. Oh my gosh, who wrote this? Uh, summer 2021 <laughs> looks to be another RV season. Uh, blah blah blah. So let's see, this uh, RV listed on the Bay Area Craigslist is a 1979 Fleetwood Pace Arrow RV whose boxy body has been swapped for the sleek fuselage of a Convair 240, uh, which was made between 1947 and 1954. Its seller attributes the early 80s construction to a pair of men, one, uh, Tony Tosta, whose name appears online only in association with this RV, and the other one, uh, Jason von Strassenberg. Uh, according to the Santa Barbara Independent, von Strassenberg was one of the four pseudonyms, pseudonyms used by a man named Roger Crona, who reportedly escaped a Michigan prison in 1972. By 1983, the two had met in Southern California. Uh, they found the fuselages of scrapped aircraft, and this particular Convair Fleetwood christened Andromeda was the mothership of the fleet and was outfitted about as well as one could by uh, amateur RV builders in the 1980s. Anyways, that, this article kind of goes on and gone on and on. You could go over to the drive, but I'll describe some of the pictures. It's actually really nice. Starting from, from the front to the back, uh, they've largely maintained the original cockpit. Looks like the yokes are now the steering wheels. Um, and then working its way back, it actually has a nice living room area, nice dining room area. It's got a full kitchen in it with oven and refrigerator and a, uh, I think what you guys call a hob, right? So stove, <laughs> nice little sleeping area. And probably the best surprise is that it actually has a hidden jacuzzi. <laughs> what? So underneath the floor, <laughs> there are four panels that pop up and there's actually a jacuzzi hot tub in there. So you can, you know, pull over to the side of the road in your Convair and and just take a nice, relaxing tub. I mean, I, I, I'm sorry, I've just found the picture. Hang on, bear with. This is, uh, Matt, this is for, the, put them up, the, yeah. for the for the benefit of the. I mean, wow. Yeah, look at that. That is. That I is mean, do you have awesome. to pull over then top it up and and? <laughs> I mean, I mean, you'd have to take the bends fairly 
slowly unless you I drained, think so. yeah, I think, drained it well I think time. that's it because I, I think you, you must have to drain it in between I'm rather enjoying the uh, the, the uh, cabinets that are, that are behind there with the speakers oh yes yeah I quite like that old uh, they, they uh, correct me if I'm wrong Nev they're, they're the old type where you used to fill them with sand aren't they those particular cabinets uh, you could do yes absolutely yeah, yeah. Get, get that nice rich bass sound yes indeed so there has been a lot of effort put into this it's, it's clearly you know you, you could um live in this and uh, I, I think you've probably got the better roads for this kind of vehicle in in the u.s uh, armando oh yeah and we have very little regulation so yeah uh, <laughs> you could drive this all over that's probably the thing be that, a hit with the cops yeah that's the thing that gets me isn't it like you know the the regular the regulate the rules here are really strict aren't they about what size vehicle you can get and that we were looking at um we were looking at rvs before we bought our, the caravan actually and one of the things that we were looking at was this amazing vehicle and we almost bought it until when we looked closely that actually you needed a category c license in order <laughs> to be able to drive it and it didn't look that much bigger than like you know, like an ordinary RV, but it was, I mean, it was just like, oh, wow, this looks amazing, and sort of nearly stuck. Fortunately, we got outbid, otherwise that could have been a very expensive um, issue, really. But uh, A couple of good points brought up by Laura uh, Davis in the chat room. says, uh, almost looks as good as the Learmousine. Remember, we had that story on uh, oh, yeah, last yeah, year. Yeah. There was a Learjet that had been turned into a limousine. Yeah. Uh, uh, Laura also says on there, she wonders uh, if it's very heavy. Now, I... I you know, looking at this, I reckon that does weigh a fair mm. amount. Yeah, um, I bet. I bet. Mm. Um, I, but, I but drove then, a, but... Uh, a a forty two foot thirty thousand pound RV uh, when I lived in New Mexico, and <laughs> I did. needed no special license or training to drive it right on the roads out here. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, on wings and rails is suggesting that it's a proper reason to go live in the states very cool i have mm. to say i'm pretty much with you with on that one on ring, wings and rails that that is one of the things that do you know that there's one of the well there's two things that i'm desperate to do actually sometime very soon one is to go over to the states and visit armando and uh, and dr steph because that that's just going to be my highlight whenever i can do that at some point and the other one is and i know they, they always talk about this don't they the route 66 where you hire an rv and and do that that seems to be some kind of armando's going to laugh at me now for that isn't he he's going to roll his eyes or something <laughs> okay well i i hate to disappoint you oh. but route 66 has la like largely just been paved over by interstate 40 so it doesn't have the same appeal oh. Uh, however, there are some fantastic cross-country trips around here. I know we have the Great River Road. You can go from New Orleans out to to San Diego. It, yeah, there's some great. But Route 66, I uh, so where I used to live, funny enough, we are just talking about New Mexico. Um, Tucumcari, New Mexico it was one of the stops on Route 66. And I would go ride my motorcycle up there. Or sometimes I would fly up there um, from where I lived in Clovis. And... Uh, <laughs> And you would find foreigners. I would I would meet a lot of people from actually Germany that would come oh, wow. over and and rent a Harley, and they were riding nice. across from Chicago to L.A. Yeah, and uh, and that's kind of disappointing. Oh, <laughs> yeah. oh dear. Uh, can, can I? I just need to clear something up here. By the way, uh, my confession there. Uh, Lane has <laughs> suggested. Oh, Matt in a jump plane. I want to make it perfectly clear, Lane. In fact, I'm going to look at the camera right now, and I'm talking to you, Lane. That <laughs> will never happen. Okay, that's the end of it. 
<laughs> on a Tuesday at three o'clock, but we will do it on Wednesday. <laughs> unless, unless we get Matt one of those famous pints of milk before he, you know. I ain't getting on no plane, fool. <laughs> if, if you jump out of a plane, Megan and I will jump out of a plane with you. But, but you, but, but, but. And I'll and I'll I'll go as well, Sam. That sounds like challenge accepted. And Nev's uh, gonna Nev's gonna film it for us because he's not stupid us. and he'll still yeah. be on the ground. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Good shout. Right, Nev's yeah. gonna jump out with his four K camera yeah. and I, I can assure, I can assure you that isn't going to happen. Nobody needs to worry about that. It's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we're on that bombshell. That brings the commercial news uh, to a close this week. Some good stories in there, guys. Well done. Uh, we've got uh, a next part of the show coming up, which uh, is the Plain Truths, which I know many people look forward to each week. And uh, this week, uh, Pip, uh, Pip, uh, Al, and <laughs> okay, that's because I'm waiting for the next uh, episode of Plain Safety to come out. But Pip's um, taking three hours to um, to record two seconds of show, I think, or something like that. <laughs> But anyway, anyway love, Pip. back, back, anyway, on, back the, uh, on task. Next, uh, the next <laughs> segment is uh, the Plain Truths, where this week uh, Captain Al and Matt are talking all about that important performance calculations. And welcome to the Plain Truth. And this week we're going to be talking about performance calculations. Joining me, as always, is the legend that is Captain Al. Hi, Captain Al. Hi, Matt. Right. Okay. Now, this one's coming from a listener this week. So, thank you to Nick for sending this in. Basically, the summary is how would you go about performing takeoff calculations? Okay. So, this is a simple question with a very complicated and convoluted answer, which I'll try to split up and uh, section it off in as much as I can. So we'll start with the very basics. When we are going to perform a takeoff, uh, we need to be certain that the aeroplane will get airborne. So one of the things that we will do before we decide how much payload we can accept. So payload, is the passengers, the bags, and any cargo. It's the stuff that we've been paid to carry, okay? Uh, we will work out how much payload we can carry. So how do we go about that? Well, obviously, we know which aeroplane we're in, so the, the performance data will be quite specific to that, that very individual airframe. Uh, we know where we're at, as in which airport, and then we can start to narrow it down to which runway, because obviously some airports might have short runways, long runways, and this, of course, is dependent on the weather conditions that prevail. So we will work out what the maximum payload is for that aircraft using that runway with the weather conditions that prevail. And quite significantly, uh, whether the runway is wet, dry, covered in snow, covered in ice, et cetera, et cetera. So that's, that's our payload. And that's the, the maximum amount of weight that we can get out uh, of that airport. So when we've actually boarded all the passengers, and we've talked in a previous episode about uh, weight and balance. So in light aircraft, you might look at actually weighing passengers, uh, whereas on large aircraft, we use assumed weights. Now, the assumed weights are set by the authority. And some people will say, well, you know, I'm a big chap. Okay, well, for every big chap, there's a little chap. So it kind of all averages itself out. Okay. Now, 
big dividing line here. In Europe, most airlines will allow the crew to do their own performance calculations or the airline will subcontract the performance out to a company and the pilots will cross-check it, double-check it. In the United States, uh, they have an entirely different setup, so they have flight dispatchers and it's the flight dispatchers who will do the performance calculations or a, a separate department, but usually it's not the pilots. Horses for courses, you know, apples and pears, it doesn't really matter, someone is doing the calculations. In days gone by, and indeed when I started flying, when Wilbur and Orville were still, you know, middle-aged, <laughs> we used to do performance calculations with big tables. So you'd have a, a huge library on the aircraft. You'd say, okay, I'm at Manchester at runway 24, because don't forget, in these days there wasn't a second runway. So it was runway 24. You'd find the runway 24 page, You'd go into the dry page or the wet page or the contaminated section, that's with snow and ice, etc. And you'd know the weight of the aircraft because you'd have the load sheet. You'd go in and you'd match it up with the temperature and that would give you your performance speeds. Now, one of the things that we try to do on aircraft is we look after our engines because they're very, very expensive and they use lots of fuel. So in the same way as when you drive your car, when you're starting off driving away from stationary, you have the option, don't you? You can either gently accelerate or you can absolutely floor it. I mean, the latter one is more exciting. The latter one is more exciting, <laughs> but this is aviation. So we try okay, to keep right, excitement yeah. down to a minimum. Fair enough, yes. Yeah. And we try to think safe option, okay? okay boring. So <laughs> what we will do is based on the weight that we've got and the temperature, et cetera, runway conditions, blah, blah, blah. We will come up with a set of speeds. So V1, uh, our rotate speed, our V2 speed. And we will also come up with a temperature. It's an assumed temperature. In the Airbus world, we call it flex. I think Boeing call it D-rate. It doesn't really matter. It's an assumed temperature. So basically what we're telling the engines is that it's a lot hotter outside, so therefore they will produce less thrust because engines can't produce the same amount of thrust when it's hot. So we're, we're giving the engines or the, the computers a false figure, so they produce less thrust, i.e. we're taking off with enough thrust to be safe, but we're not going full power. Okay, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. The, the whole thing about fooling the engines is just that uh, it's just the way of doing it. So... That's our performance calculation, and we would do that on a table. And then as things like uh, laptops and latterly tablets came to be quite uh, sophisticated, clever, cheap, and robust, people started to look at this performance and went, hey, hey, we can you know, calculate this electronically. And it, it was kind of worked out within Monarch Airlines that massive savings could be made by uh, basically being... Uh, more accurate with these calculations. Because when you're doing it manually by tables and charts, you're always going to err on the safe side because you're interpolating and you might be interpolating between four different boxes. Unless you've got you know, an instant Excel spreadsheet and you're going to put all this data in to come with absolute values, you, you're going to basically look at it and go, well, okay, it's somewhere between you know 
52 and 56. So 52 is the safer figure. We'll go with 52. Now, it might be that if a computer did it, it came up with 54. So there's two degrees of temperature difference there. And what the, the vendors of these electronic performance packages came and said, well, for an airline of monarch size, uh, for every degree of flex that you save over the year, we'll save you about half a million US dollars. So two degrees of flex, well, there's a million dollars saved. Um, and I'm minded of a very uh, astute training captain who was from a part of Wales where uh, arms are short and pockets are deep. And he said, well, he said, uh, all we need to do is uh, just add two degrees manually and we'll share the million dollars then. <laughs> Well, it doesn't quite work like that. The regulator needs to see a bit more evidence of right. this taking place on a more scientific way. But, um, yep, we had uh, electronic performance, and therefore you put the data in. And the key thing then is that you independently, so each pilot has a tablet, you independently calculate the performance. Um, you compare what you've got, and then you put it into the flight management system and off you go. Now, like anything else in life, when we put stuff into computers, we can make mistakes. It's very easy to mistype a three for a four because they're next to each other on the keyboard, etc., etc. And as you know, Matt, because you're a computer guy, <laughs> you'll be familiar with the old saying of rubbish in, rubbish out. <laughs> yes, and absolutely. so long as the data fits within the very broad parameters, the iPad, the PC, whatever you're using, will go, well, that's what you've told me it is. That's good enough for me, and I'll spit you out this figure. Now, unlike when you were looking at charts and tables, you kind of had a, a bigger aspect to this. And my analogy for this is that most of us now navigate in our cars, trucks, buses, using sat-nav, yeah. and we just follow what it says. When we used to use road atlases, we had a much bigger picture so you're of a similar generation to me. So if you had to drive from Bungie to Manchester, you have a pretty good idea as to how you're going to get to Manchester without consulting your sat-nav, don't yeah, you? Uh, from it here, might not be... head north. <laughs> well, there you go. It, it might not be as efficient as using your sat-nav, yeah. but you would get to Manchester. Yeah. And you would have a good idea if your sat-nav started to say, turn south that something has gone wrong and you might have the wrong Manchester yeah. in your sat-nav. <laughs> yeah. But for those people who don't have that kind of big picture, this has been the big problem. So where um, people have made data entry errors, they've either been in the preliminary calculations on their devices or then putting them into their FMS. And again, so long as the, the aeroplane goes, well... <laughs> It, it looks okay to me. You've not told me that it's 140 degrees centigrade outside. You've told me, you know, that it's 55. That's good enough because it could be. So th these are where things go wrong because we have an inherent trust of anything that a computer does. Mm. Now, the computer will only do what it's told to do. So if we put rubbish in, we'll get rubbish out. So as an industry, we've now kind of developed this regime where we've identified that where people are using electronic performance, uh, errors can take place with incorrect data 
you know, where you're using drop down boxes and you've selected, uh, you know, dry instead of wet runway, these sorts of things. If they don't get picked up, then you'll get completely erroneous performance data, which if you then go and fly, you might find that you're not flying as soon as you should be. And then you might have a very extended takeoff roll and you just might scrape the, the hedge or fence at the end of the runway. So what we do now is we have a rigorous procedure whereby everything is independently cross-checked. And as an industry, we're starting to see better adherence to these uh, practices and the incidents are becoming less. But like anything else with pressures of time and you know confusion, there's been cases where performance has been done for the full length of the runway uh, because they thought that they'd selected the correct length of runway on the drop-down box, but aircraft have then departed, you know, a third of the way down the runway because that's what they thought they'd done the performance for. But in fact, they did it for a lot longer runway. So we're trying as an industry to really uh, nail the procedures and teach discipline uh, because as I say to guys who are under my wing for training, you know, this is one of the things that will kill you if you get wrong. And you've got all the time in the world on the ground to get this right. Uh, you know, sometimes we have to deal with problems in the air where we can't just stop the clock and say, okay, we're going to take five minutes to do this. Well, you can't in the air, but on the ground, you can. That's kind of aircraft performance. There are a lot of environmental aspects to it. So when, when we have low pressure systems, uh, so stormy weather in the UK, uh, lots of rain, uh, lots of wet runways, low pressure, strong winds, um, sometimes in the wrong direction, um, they can all affect our performance. So uh, the weight of the aeroplane, the environmental conditions, the runway length and the runway state are the, the key elements to that. So hopefully that's, that's answered the question in as much as I can. I'm only a pilot at the end of the day, <laughs> not a performance engineer. <laughs> not quite. Uh, as always, many thanks, Captain Al. It's a pleasure. Well, uh, welcome to our London studios. Uh, welcome to the A320 Lounge uh, webinar uh, tech presentation, um, obviously for the 320 series. Welcome to the A320 and 737 Lounge, bringing technical refresher courses directly to you. Using our cutting edge broadcasting facilities, enjoy a fully interactive technical refresher course from the comfort of your own home. All of our webinars are live and you can ask your instructor a question at any point during the day. All of our instructors are highly experienced and can help you. No more expensive nights away from home, no new software required, just an internet connection. Courses are run at regular intervals, so check out A320 Lounge and 737lounge.com for more details. Don't forget, uh, if you enjoy the plain truths like we all do with uh, Al and Matt, uh, don't forget you can catch all the other plain truths that have been on previous on our YouTube page. Uh, you can watch them on there. And in fact, there are a couple are of exclusive ones as well that haven't been included uh, with our own show when, when it's just been a little bit too busy. But they're all there. And also, uh, if anybody's interested and they want to listen to it in audio form, there is a podcast that you can download of all of the plain truths too it is currently up to date as well so there you go Ooh, exciting so uh thanks for that then guys that was brilliant so we are going to move on to the next part of the show where we hand things over to armando yeah guys despite our best efforts and 
even without John to keep us on track, we actually have <laughs> enough time for military. So, Matt, if you're ready, hit the button. Okay, this particular event has already made its way all the way through the internet to the end and is already coming back the other way. Um, <laughs> but uh, this is about that TBM Avenger that ditched uh, just off the beach at the Cocoa Beach Air Show. And I, I chose a, an article from theaviationist.com that actually focuses on the recovery efforts and the future of this aircraft. Um, so like, like I just said, the video of the, the Valiant Air Command's Grumman TBM Avenger uh, ditching at the Cocoa Beach Air Show has uh, gone viral around the world. And now the questions about the future of the aircraft and the identity of the pilot who skillfully landed the plane in the water uh, are starting to circulate. So the official investigation will likely determine the cause of the incident, and it appears that an engine problem may be a contributing factor, according to a Cocoa Beach Air Show spokesperson, Chris Donato. Uh, he said that the only person on board was the pilot. He realized that the plane was having engine problems. He initially tried to make it to the nearby Patrick Space Force base, uh, where the air show was being held. Ultimately, the pilot changed his mind and decided to make a water landing in order to avoid going over buildings and Florida State Road A1A. The pilot of the TBM Avenger was taken to a local hospital where he was released without serious injuries, according to reports. Many social media posts, especially within the aviation community, praised the pilot's airmanship during the, the incident and remarked about his ability to precisely ditch the aircraft without hitting spectators. But now the question for airshow fans, warbird lovers, and the owners of the Avenger is will she fly again? The best answer we know right now is hopefully. So the photos of the aircraft being pulled up onto the beach show damage that includes the bent propeller blades, missing fuselage panels and damage to the wings, flight control surfaces. Uh, what may be less conspicuous but potentially more significant is any internal structural damage to the airframe. Collisions with water can often produce a surprising amount of force and structural damage. However, the Grumman TBN Avenger is an exceptionally rugged aircraft, uh, evidence of which can be found with a number of aircraft that remain flying today and the service life of the planes after their retirement from military service. During World War II, the TBM Avenger earned a, reputa a reputation for being able to withstand significant battle damage and bring its crews back to their aircraft carriers safely. Whether the TBM can stand up as well to FAA accident investigators and airframe inspectors could be another story. Uh, the factor that could ultimately decide the future of the plane originally built in 1945 uh, is money. If costs uh. of returning the aircraft to flying status exceed what its operators, which are the Valiant Air Command, feel is appropriate, it's possible that the plane may only be restored to a static display condition. That determination will be made uh, likely once a detailed survey, survey of the damage uh, sustained in the incident is completed. So in the meantime, uh, photographer Matt Williams was kind enough to send these photos of the TBM Avenger that Matt just uh, put up on the YouTube feed uh, being pulled from the sea. The rugged wing folding apparatus of the aircraft still enabled the wings to be swung back against the fuselage as it does on the aircraft carrier. Uh, 
in order to make transporting the aircraft easier. It uh, ended up on a uh, flatbed truck there. Um, you guys can go over to uh, Juan Brown's or the Blancolirio channel. Um, he has a pretty thorough uh, explanation of the salvage plans and how they wanted to uh, float this, the aircraft out to sea and bring it around the jetty uh, to enable the recovery. But the local authorities, the Coast Guard, decided that that was not the best avenue for both environmental concerns as well as uh, just the sheer logistics of it. So what they ended up doing is just attaching a cable to the to the tail hook or somewhere on the aft of the fuselage. They drug it up onto the beach. They uh, probably damaged the aircraft a little bit more in doing so. You can see there on the pictures there on, on uh, YouTube. And uh, by all accounts, the left wing actually filled with sand when it was uh, uh, lying there on the beach. And uh, probably the recovery of this aircraft out of the water caused more damage than than actually the actual incident yeah yeah but um yeah not there ideal, you go so we'll, we'll stand by to to hear what happens with this aircraft and i um you know on, on the military news i every week i'm looking through some of the warbird journals to, to see if there's any notable news that's how i get some of the eaa and the b29 news and 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 things like that but uh we'll, we'll follow this i'll follow this and and see um you know, update you guys on recovery efforts. I love how the uh, the aviation community uh, went down the completely correct response, which was to praise the pilot for making sure that the that it sort of landed in the water rather than going anywhere near people and and all that kind of thing. I mean, that's one of the things that I never really understood why they couldn't make the the air shows here in Lowestoft and Yarmouth work, Carlos, because mm. it just seemed to make so much sense doing an air show over the water. Yeah, it just seems with, uh, with yeah. the, the size of the beaches that we have here on the east yeah, coast. Yeah, they're huge. Loads don't they? of room. You can get Loads hundreds of, of thousands of people. Well, in yeah. fact, as we the lowest off air show, especially there'd be hundreds of thousands of people on the beach. Yeah. Um, you know, but uh, I suppose it's the joys of red tape and all that kind of thing. Suddenly, what with insurances and things like that, these events could no longer be sort of sustained unless somebody was paying for them, which is just mm. such a shame, isn't it? But it's, uh, I agree with Laura. Um, sad to see this one end up in the drink. Yeah, it was it was horrible when I saw this story because you know these aircraft are there's so much time and effort put into the restoration and the upkeep of these aircraft and to see one of these yeah. go into the sea like this and obviously as has been pointed out in the chat room by quite a few people, well, salt Richard water Adler, yeah. and uh, salt water and aircraft um, don't. Uh, go well together. No, and Richard yeah. Allen saying so many media, uh, so many re media reported a crash rather than a great ditching, which I think is a great mm. way of putting it, isn't it? Yeah. Actually, yeah, yeah. And the, uh, the 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 inside of all the surfaces on most aircraft actually zinc chromate, so it protects against corrosion. But like uh, like the uh, Juan Brown said in his channel, it's it's designed against spray, not sitting in the water for a couple of days. Indeed. I, I agree with everybody else. I think the pilot did a fantastic job. Um, sure, there were some heads bobbing in the water. We don't know what's going through his head at the time, but no. uh, I saw one great meme that says there's being a cool pilot and then there's being cool enough to actually 
rescue your headset out of the airplane as you're getting out so <laughs> you know you yeah. could you could see he had he had plenty of time while it was floating to make sure everything was secured everything was shut off he took his headset uh, out of the seat and then just kind of climbed out climbed and out and off he went had a little swim yeah i think we'll i think we'll finish uh, the comment on this story from on wings and rails uh with the perfect comment really that thankfully everyone is safe and i think that's, that's the true. most important thing that's right absolutely so moving on to the next story from the UKAviation.news. And uh, this one mm. broke early this week. Fantastic story. And I must say it made uh, for very interesting viewing here in the UK. Uh, it's this one that was uh, also sent to us by on WhatsApp, our WhatsApp number by Andrew Hall, and also was emailed in to us by Richard Adams. Yes. Uh, so USAF Osprey. Rips up hospital helicopter pad during training. So a US Air Force CV-22 Osprey has been filmed redesigning a landing pad used by the air ambulance at Adam Brooks Hospital here in Cambridge. Uh, the aircraft was understood to have been undertaking medical transfer training when the incident occurred. The CB-22 Osprey is part uh, plane, as we all know, and part helicopter thanks to its engine vectoring, allowing it to land like a helicopter but cruise like a fixed-wing aircraft. But its massive propellers were way too much for the matting that covers the helipad uh, through which, uh, which was sent flying when the Osprey took off after landing. And the video uh, was uh, posted on YouTube by Trail Spotter that shows the whole incident. And Matt is uh, currently playing that out uh, for you on uh, YouTube at the moment for you guys watching. But uh, yeah, I mean, having seen these flying locally, um, you can't obviously miss them for the sound. And um, I think pretty much we all can agree that the the prop wash from these or the downdraft from these. Um, is probably substantially more than an EC-135 um, Eurocopter <laughs> type used for. Do you men. think? <laughs> yeah, but yeah, uh, I don't. I don't know if you guys want my opinion on this or not. Well, I would. Love I would your love opinion. your opinion. But <laughs> I would really, really love your opinion on this, Armando. All right. Well, first of all, I've actually uh, flown that airplane five three uh, zero zero five three. I don't know how many hours I have in it, but I've actually flown that particular airplane. And uh, so there, there's a lot that happens before this uh, training exercise ever took place. So usually what happens is there is a team that just drives out, in this case, from Milden Hall over to Addenbrook. Because and, and it's not far, is it? No, no, it's only a 30-minute drive or so. Yeah. Um, we don't get the chance to land at civilian hospitals very often. And uh, I guarantee you that this team went out and they surveyed this landing zone. And they probably surveyed that fence that you can see on the video, the lights. There's a reason that it didn't land on the pad. So it was probably too small. Um, so you might have taken out two, a couple lights or anything, or the, the material itself probably couldn't hold the weight of a CV-22. So they instead decided to land on the grass just off the uh the the temporary landing pad there now they probably didn't have the tools to evaluate how that pad Whoa. was secured to the ground um so it it was 
I mean, after so many helicopter, regular helicopter landings Ooh. on and off that oh, path, my God. <laughs> they probably would have never even thought that it was going to lift up like that because that's outside of the the survey, the traditional survey of, of the landing zone. Um, they would have probably assumed that <laughs> it's secured properly. Um, so I don't know. It's This is uh, could have resulted in a serious mishap had one of those uh mats or temporary uh panels gone into the rotors um but the downwash or, or the the rotor wash uh kind of uh, distributed all those mats down and away from the aircraft um so i and i guarantee you they're out there uh man i even saw some some comments on the internet saying ah oh, the crew should go out there and fix it yeah, relax people like <laughs> I guarantee you the United States Air Force is, is talking with it, yes. <laughs> is talking to the people at yeah. Addenbrook and they probably have a new pad that's made out of concrete and even better um already yeah. on the way. So Absolutely. Yeah. Although Lee Lee Davis point makes a, an excellent point in the chat room here. The good news is there's no cobwebs anywhere anymore, which I think is a very important thing. Uh, yeah. It's uh, again though uh, uh, Racon is actually saying like a good point is not the most solid way to build a helipad. Um I, I guess it no. was a cheap way of building a helipad perhaps. I don't, I don't know. It's uh it, it certainly looked temporary to me. Yeah, and uh, and there is a, a great uh, comment in the chat room from Main Man Micah, uh, which is, <laughs> it's not necessarily just the rotor wash; it's yeah. the exhaust. The yeah. exhaust of the engine is so close to the ground that it may have caught just under yeah, yeah. the the lip. So it's probably a combination of the two uh, things, and. Um, and that's what probably caused this. But yeah, we have, let's just say, we've sparked quite a few fires in our in our history of flying the CV-22. Yeah. Um, now they redesigned the exhaust system a couple of years after it was in service to to deflect some of that. But but especially the the first exhaust design was uh, was notorious for for sparking some brush fires. And you know, and and the sheer amount of heat, the heat itself could have uh, because of that engine exhaust could have weakened either adhesives or some of the materials um that were holding that pad down to the ground yeah so. yeah M many variables in there i mean as I say, again thankfully nobody was hurt and uh, all that kind of thing as i say and i'm sure adam brooks will uh have a, a far more suitable pad uh, available to them very soon can i, can, can I just say I'm, I'm just going to say this and armando's going to tell me off for this i know but the, the very moment the words fell out of his mouth of I've actually flown that particular aircraft uh, <laughs> is just the, the coolest. It seems to have just gone unnoticed, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's, it's just like... Did you did you hear that, people? Yeah. Armando flow, flow, has flown that exact... What? That exact aircraft. That's just so... I mean, the, sorry, this... the, 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 the sad human being in me is is a little bit overexcited that we're, we're covering a story that somebody, somebody on the team can actually comment about with some authority. I know, I know. <laughs> That's brilliant. Yeah. Time and place, time and place. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Okay, I, I'll, I'll... I, the, the model that I have behind me of the CV-22 was actually 0046, which is a sister ship to that one, which was my favorite one because I because we we took that all over Africa and it oh, was wow. a, that was a fun wow. airplane. It was it was a solid airplane to to fly. So. Yeah. Uh, in fact, can can we indulge uh, on wings and rails because uh, they're they're new to the chat room here. What what is it like to fly an Osprey? Go on. 
Do you know what I'm going to do right now? Oh. Is I'm going to plug another podcast. Uh, oh, so what? <gasps> Hang on. <laughs> I very dare you. <laughs> Cover your ears, everyone. <laughs> go over to the Airplane Geeks. Micah, uh, okay. help yeah. me out here. I think it was episode 528 or something like that. Micah, I'm sure Micah's doing his research right yeah. now. But, uh, but I did a, a pretty good, uh, probably a 30-minute uh, chat with them about, about the Osprey. Wow. Okay. All right. That's fair enough. I mean, Laura, Laura Davies, uh, is, uh, Davies has made a very good point, Matt, in the chat room. I know. Absolutely. He's just saying, what? Hang on a minute. You mean there are other podcasts? I know. Uh, there, there's quite a big one following us if we don't hurry up, actually. Anyway, Nev, 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 Nev. What, uh, what have the Chinese been doing? Well, there's, yes, a bit naughty, I think, because it says... Uh, uh, in uh, Taipei, uh, nine Chinese military planes entered Taiwan's air defence identification zone, known as ADIS, on Tuesday, April 20th, marking the 17th intrusion this month. Five People's uh, Liberation Army Air Force Shaining uh, J-16 fighter jets, two Shanixi, uh Y-8 anti-submarine wa uh, warfare planes, and one Y-8 uh, electronic warfare plane and one Y-8 reconnaissance plane flew into the southwest corner of Taiwan's Adis. Uh, in response, Taiwan sent aircraft, uh, broadcast radio warnings and deployed air defence missile systems to track uh, these planes. Since September of last year, Beijing has stepped up its grey zone tactics by regularly sending planes into Taiwan's uh, 80s, uh, with uh, most instances taking place in the southwest corner of the zone. Initially, these intrusions were usually carried out by one to three slow-flying turboprops. However, over the last month, China has begun sending larger incursions, including fighter jets, J-10s and J-16s, into the identification zone. And Addis is an area that extends beyond a country's airspace, where air traffic controllers ask incoming aircraft to identify themselves. Grey zone tactics are defined as as an effort or series of efforts beyond steady state deterrence and assurance that attempts to achieve one's security objectives without resort to direct and sizable use of force. That is an incredible <laughs> statement, I have to say, and very difficult <laughs> to read. Uh, well, according to data, uh, Chinese planes were tracked in Taiwan's identification zone 18 times in March, 17 times in February, and 27 times in January, whilst last year they were observed 19 times in December, 22 times in November and 22 times in October, including a drone on October the 22nd. So they're clearly um, wanting to make their presence felt, aren't they? <laughs> yes, Fl flirting with the airspace, shall we say. Yes. Yeah. Wow. I, I, usually, I usually stay away from these sort of incursion-type stories and these, you know... Uh, spy versus spy reaction <laughs> stories, but I, I included this one this this week just because it's it's so significant. I mean, 18, 20 times, twenty seven times in January, uh, incur you know crossing over somebody's internationally recognized border, and then they're increasing the firepower of aircraft. Firepower. I don't know if that's a thing. 
that you know they've taken it from transports and reconnaissance aircraft to some fighter aircraft so so it's usually indicative of just kind of testing the waters and and um it's just something that the world is going to have to monitor and see if it increases mm. at all i mean it, I, I can't help but feel a little bit worried by that as you say because it's quite it's not a, it's not an isolated sort of flirting of the borders is it no, and, and I don't think anybody thinks that there's going to be a large-scale conflict between China and Taiwan. Okay, good. But as far as regional, <laughs> it, it just affects regional stability. And yeah. um, and some of the partner nations that are involved in this is, uh, you know, it could affect them. And, and you know, just it, it's just such a weird time already with the pandemic and things going on that, that sometimes you, you add more kindling in there to to potentially create a big fire, so... Uh, Dirk S is saying that does Taiwan have some kind of royalty program for breaching the Eddies? I mean, it's... Uh, <laughs> ro- royalties how? <laughs> royalties like, I get royalties every time we play out in a previous episode. Yeah, right. I think Nev's got seniority over me, so his... How, how much How much does I'm the royalties pay I'm still waiting for the check. I'll tell you what, uh, uh, we'll, we'll start <laughs> paying royal, royalties for repeat fees as soon as I get my royalty check for the uh, Family Guy, ladies and gentlemen, fam, uh, family show. Not Family Guy, <laughs> that's something else altogether. Oh, boy. So, <laughs> oh, that's a, that's a TV sorry. show here in the US. So. Yeah, yeah, and oh. here. Yeah, but bear, bear, bear with me, sorry. I've been In my defence, I've been up since about four o'clock this morning because mum went into hospital this morning, so... Uh, <laughs> In my defence. In my defence. Ah, okay, good. Right. <laughs> I've forgotten what we were doing now. I'm on though. What is this? What is this? Play Talkie UK, right? You have got Park Radio. Story. No, sorry. What? <laughs> Where are we? <laughs> well, I I did my best to give Nev as many uh, foreign words as I could, but uh, I'll I'll try to take some on here too. So this is from theaviationist.com. The United States Air Force deploys a major fighter component to Poland. So 20 F-15s and four F-16s belonging to the U.S. Air Force deployed to Poland on April 19th of this year. Two dozen USAF fighters arrived at Lask and uh, Krasini air bases where they will operate uh, within the framework of an agile combat exercise or agile combat employment exercise during the aviation detachment rotation or AVROT 21-2. That 21-2 is just the exercise designator. It's just fiscal year 21 um, but the F-15s, both E and C models, come from REF Lakenheath, belonging to the 48th Fighter Wing, while the F-16s are assigned to the 480th Fighter Squadron at Spangdalem Air Force Base in Germany, Air Base. Uh, C-130J Super Hercules, assigned to the 37th Airlift Squadron uh, from Ramstein Air, Air Base in Germany, are also supporting Avrot 21-2. While the F-15Cs and F-16s went to Krasini, uh the F-15Es landed at Lask, and the C-130 will operate out of Chevre Air Base in Belgium to disperse, organize, and generate airlift for the ACE event. So the USAF jets will be involved in interoperability, joint procedures, and mission tactics training with the Polish 2nd Tactical Aviation Wing and the Polish Vipers. Uh, two sorties a day, or two flights a day, are planned. The operations could involve also the Polish Fulcrums, uh, the Polska Zobronia outlet reports. This is not the first ever visit of US F 15s to Poland. In 2019, uh, pre pandemic, the F 15 Strike Eagles from the 4th Fighter Wing out of Seymour Johnson Air Force Base in North Carolina temporarily deployed to Spangdalem, 
landed at Povitz Air Base as part of a rapid forge exercise. Uh, and then dealing with the Vipers in the same period, Spangdalem's F-16s deployed to Krasini uh, for bilateral training with the Polish Air Force as part of Avrot 19-2s, which back in uh, 2019. Um, so there you go. Uh, th this article goes on to talk about why they're doing this, but I've said it before. It's super important for us to. Um, it, it's funny. It's not. It's not hypocrisy because I just talked about. You don't usually get into other air forces going into other countries. Um, <laughs> Careful. <laughs> but I know, right? What are you going to do? In this yeah. case, in this training exercise, uh, I think it's important for us to train with our European Security Initiative partners, such as Poland to uh, make sure that should that day ever come where Russia starts doing the same things as uh, China and kind of testing the boundaries and the waters that uh, we're able to talk to each other and able to fly with each other without uh, trading paint, which is always a bad thing. <laughs> uh, going back to my earlier, um, uh, sh shall we say, incursion, uh, as we're on that subject, uh, uh, a couple of suggestions uh, on the Family Guy front. I've got to be uh, Peter Griffin, obviously. Uh, uh, Armando, they're suggesting that you should be Stewie, which I think is a, a, a surprise. Uh, Carlos, you get to be Brian. Uh, Nev, I think this is a good choice, actually. Mayor West. I think Mayor that's, West. That, that's I'm definitely... going to have to look up that program. Oh, yeah. It, uh, so <laughs> it's, it. Have you not? Oh, Nev, it's a real treat. Uh, basically, uh, Mayor West is played by Adam West out of Batman. Uh, and oh, right. he yes. it's just absolutely yeah. brilliant uh it's it's wrong on oh so oh so many levels uh but it is uh, an awful lot of fun I, I think i think i quite like that yes uh, <laughs> do you agree with that uh, armando no sure but i was hoping <laughs> to be meg you were hoping to be meg what like yeah. the outcast nobody likes you yeah. uh right god you're always you're always championing the underdog oh does anybody oh, else find it man, exhausting? That's a great T-shirt, Camping the Underdog. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, oh, no, honestly, he's so positive. It just—it's exhausting, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> sorry, I'll go and have. I, sorry, it, we're nearing the end. I'll go and have a lie down in a darkened room soon. It's fine. <laughs> so we've got uh, we've got one nice sort of last story. Oh yes, actually, really yeah. for the military this week. Um, this one comes to us from the Pontefract and Castleford Express. Dot I beg your pardon. <laughs> I know. Say that I after. A, I, I'm a, a subscriber. Are you? And <laughs> good news. Uh, <laughs> and uh, this, yeah, this is this is nice. Nice story to end on. Jacob it says here, Jacob the pilot Newson, who was seven years old, seven, takes to the skies for his first flying lessons. So. Um, Dad Andrew, who has a fear of flying, sat behind as Jacob took the controls of the Piper PA-28 Cherokee during a flight out of White Waltham Airfield under the guidance of instructor Mark Green. Andrew, who is an emergency medical technician for the Yorkshire Air Ambulance Service, said the moment was bittersweet as it was mum, Andrea, who had planned uh, to chaperone their son. Unfortunately, Andrea died uh, from breast cancer in December last year at age just 49. Um, but uh, Andrew said that uh, she was always going to do it, but unfortunately she passed away at Christmas. And uh, seeing how excited Jacob was helped me and being so determined to get some footage of him and photos of him in the aircraft helped distract him from looking at the window. Under the watchful eye of Mark Green, Jacob, who uh, has been obsessed with flying since he was a toddler, was able to take control of the plane uh, for roughly 10 seconds uh, when they were at about 3,000 feet. 
Uh, Andrew said the highlight was when Jacob took the controls of the aircraft and effectively he was in control of the aircraft, which was amazing. I think at seven year old, uh, seven years old, that would definitely be the highlight of any seven year old's life. Uh, he said he was engrossed with the whole thing. He loved being up in the air. And since Andrew's passing just before Christmas, Jacob has been fundraising for the St. Gemma's Hospice in Leeds uh, in memory of his beautiful mother. Uh, this summer, Jacob is also planning to climb the the three highest mountains in Yorkshire in three days, wearing his RAF flying suit alongside Andrew. Uh, Jacob has already raised over £22,000 oh, wow. Thanksgiving page for the charity, but hopes to raise £30,000, which will be enough to pay for a palliative care nurse for 12 months. Andrew said the hospice is over the moon with how much they've already raised, but asked him if there was any specific amount uh, they said, and the 30000 would be enough to pay for one nurse for a whole year. So on the Just Giving page, Jacob explained why it was so important to raise the money and he explains about his mother passing away. But thankfully, um, the uh, St. Gemma's Hospice uh, supported them all through the process and uh, you can obviously find out uh, to support Jacob and his effort for St. Gemma's Hospice by visiting his Just Giving page. We'll put the, the uh, show notes to this story um, or the link to the story in the show notes you can see on here. But what a great little story. And obviously, inspiring someone at that age, I think, uh, Armando is probably, um, you know, giving a, 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 a toll, a seven-year-old, the uh, chance to fly a light aircraft. He's probably going to um, end up... Uh, you know, joining the ATC or becoming a pilot. What do you think? One can only hope. And, uh, you know, and I, and you have to say, he looks very smart there in his uniform. He actually wears it the most people, uh, wears it better than most people in the actual Air Force. Um, yeah, just a great little story. And the video is is uh, great. The pilot put him in the left seat. So even better. Looks like a Looks like a Piper Archer, a Cherokee, something like that. But he got to fly it from the left seat, which I think is awesome. Yeah, you've um, you've obviously been taking um, you know up, up your family flying with you, haven't you, Armando? Just recently and stuff. But uh, how does Maddie enjoy the the flying side of things now? She she's been up a few times with you. Oh, she loves it, and she's fearless. Uh, you know, she uh, once we get up to altitude, um, <laughs> it was funny because much like this video with Jacob, it uh, Megan was in the back seat filming it, and. Uh, and you can see she's just fearless. She took the controls of the airplanes and I told her to go left and she went left and then she, I told her to go right and she went right and she was surprised at how responsive the aircraft is. Nobody ever said that about a Cessna, but um, to a six-year-old <laughs> it is. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I just love their, their oh my gosh, their ability just just get focused on something, all the kids, right? So not just Maddie, but but all of the civil air patrol cadets, the the, the uh, air cadets, you know, here in the U.S. that I get to fly with, they're just uh, amazing kids and so smart, <laughs> so much smarter than I ever was. So you think that you think now, Armando, that when you ask her that question, you know, what do you want to do when you when you leave school? He's praying say, it's not pilot. Oh, I hope it's not pilot. <laughs> just because no, of the costs to, involved. <laughs> no, we want her to go. I don't know. Go do something. Well, you know, Megan was talking about it in the women's uh, women in aviation episode. We will support her in whatever it is that she wants to do. I secretly hope that she uh, ends up flying somehow, but uh, she can certainly do that as a private pilot if she goes off to 
pursue something else. I, I, I think you you undersell some of this though sometimes because I do think that fearlessness comes very much from the parents as you know genuinely because I think it's like you, you sort of underestimate the the how people sort of see like you know Armando he flies airplanes and I dare say that you know daughter is exactly that's that same sort of thing so it's like it must be cool because daddy does it do you know what i mean do you know what i mean that's why where maybe where the the, the lack of fear comes from is because actually well you know that dad used to fly these that you know for for like i mean i'm probably applying too much thought process to it but it's just like <laughs> it's just like you know your dad does that that's cool so that's well, that, think... that's that's nothing to be scared of well, Nev, you know nev can chime in on this i think any any parent it's what you normalize in the household and in, in your lives and what, you know, how you treat challenges. And we, there's some life lessons to be learned, whether it's soccer camp or flying an airplane about tackling something that you're uncomfortable in and, and how do you respond to those things? But I don't know. Nev, Nev, no, I, th- I think you're right. And also it's quite often the case that um, uh, people's children <clears throat> sometimes follow the, their parents into the same kind of, uh, career mm. in life. Uh, there, there are many examples of it in aviation and in all walks of life as well. But uh, yeah, I, I think introducing someone to flying at this kind of age is really, really interesting. And uh, again, because we're not allowed to be in the jump seat anymore on commercial airliners, certainly when they're flying, um, again, we've lost all of that um, enthusiasm, which so many kids got and I certainly got that when I was privileged to have you know I think probably five or six jump seat rides um, mm. back, back in the day when you could uh, and without that now GA is a is a good way of experiencing that especially as you're you know handling the controls mm. and the supervision of somebody else yeah actually uh, uh, Nev you recently became a grandparent obviously with your, your grandchild are you going to um, install the kind of the aviation and, and 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 BA ways with and dad's uh, jokes maybe yeah dad jokes, dad jokes absolutely I mean that's a given surely well yeah well I hope that BA is um, <clears throat> I'm not going to say still around but I, I hope that they will be back to normal operations <laughs> by the by time the they're time. able to enjoy yeah yeah, um, yeah. so yeah. <laughs> I, yeah I think it would be quite interesting to see what happens I know his dad. Uh, my son David is quite keen as well, so yeah. uh, <laughs> oh, let's see. Let's yeah. see how it goes. Uh, Lee Davis has offered in the chat room here, by the way, saying, uh, "Megan, Dad, can I can I join PT UK?" Armando, oh no, we don't want that. Jeez, <laughs> 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 uh, can you imagine PT UK ten years from now? We, yeah. he, won't, he won't be in charge anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'll be some. It'll be a mass franchise or something by then. It, it'll be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll, yeah. we'll all be retiring on the profits. Uh, yeah, yeah. Then, then Neville finally get his royalty check. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Finally, after yeah. all these years, yeah, he's in it for the long haul. Bless him. Uh, <laughs> Richard Adams. Just before we uh, move on, Richard Adams just says, "Nev, bet those grandchildren are signed up to the BAMR scheme." <laughs> I must find out what the age restriction is <laughs> because you, of, with BA you've got the sort of the, the family and fr- or not not the friends but the family part of it so you can actually combine Avios points so I must find out what uh, what the age limit is for that I'll, uh, I'll tell you next week when I've found out <laughs> 
Laura, that's awesome. P2K, TNG, the next generation. Oh, I say, yes. Yeah. Why have I just got the Star Trek theme in my head now? I, I, I know, that's all I can think about now is Picard, Jean-Luc Picard. Indeed. Oh, dear. Well, uh, that, anyway. that's it. Yes, I suppose we better just uh, do some social media stuff yes. first before we finish. So, um, uh, no, found, how about you take the social media links for this one? Yes, very kind of you. Um, well, of course, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Just search uh, social media for Plain Talking UK. Our WhatsApp number is plus 44 Two two four nine one six six. That's plus forty four seven five seven two two four nine one six six. You can email the show at podcast at plaintalkinguk.com and our website is www.plaintalkinguk.com. You can sub- subscribe to our YouTube channel as well. You'll get notifications when we go live and you can help sh- shape the conversation of the show by joining us in the chat room. And you can go to uh, www.youtube.com forward slash plain talking uk and of course if you are an, uh, are an amazon shopper uh, you can click on the link on our website every time you do your amazon shopping we get paid a small referral free fee and you can also become a patreon as well and the mm. details of that are on our website absolutely yes don't forget that whatsapp number guys and girls because we need some fresh pictures to to bung on these oh, green yeah, screens behind us here so you can send them into that WhatsApp number and uh, me and Matt can have a different picture and Nev as well can have a different picture behind him on his green screen. Absolutely. So we're going to say a big thanks to everyone who's joined us in the YouTube chat room this evening. Thank you everyone for taking time at your Fridays and don't forget as well if you do listen to the show as an audio show and podcast thank you to you as well for downloading the show each week uh, via the relevant podcast players. So what are you up to guys next week? Let's go with Mondo first. Well, I'm perfect to start with because I will not be here the next couple of weeks. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I head out to California tomorrow, so I'll be off uh, off of the show for the next uh, probably two weeks or so. Boo, 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 boo. Okay, all right. We'll um, we'll um, move we'll, on we'll, to we'll Nev then. Cry, for, yeah. Um, but uh, I'm in. What am I doing next week? Yes, bit of London activity next week. We're just travelling again, um, and also d- trying to find a restaurant where you can actually eat food because it's all outdoors at the moment. And I spent yes. the last day uh, <laughs> eating food outside, which yesterday lunchtime was a bit chilly in. The I can show. imagine. I can. I can well imagine. Yeah. Fresh. So, I think is the we'll word we're looking for. Fresh next week. Yeah. But that's the plan anyway. Matt, Absolutely. what are you doing next week? Um, so uh, next week, not a lot, really. To be fair, I'm I'm off work now until Tuesday um, because Mum went in to have an operation that she's been waiting on for about ten years. So we're a little bit excited about that, and I, I almost couldn't believe it as I took her to the hospital this morning because we were still waiting for that phone call to say that it was going to be cancelled again um but uh yeah i'm delighted to say that she's out she's out and about so she had a hip operation and uh it's uh in fact i i had a communication from her not that long ago which basically said all 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 okay uh out of bed and sitting in chair hip sore but range of movement in movement increasing already which is very exciting news so there we, there go. we go. She'll yeah, be on absolutely. the show next week. Yeah, so busy, busy um, looking after mother next week, basically. That's the most important job I could be doing this week. Good, 
good. Glad to hear. Glad to hear she's sorted and uh, yeah. been 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 fixed by the uh, yes, by absolutely. The NHS at long that. last, yes. So I, I, what am I doing next week? I've got I've got a busy week next week. Although I have you've Thursday, always got I've a busy got, week. <laughs> Thursday, I've got a nice afternoon away with the uh, with the boss for a, for the day. Have for, you doing doing a few little jobs in the city, which will involve having a meal out, which is quite what quite outside, of course, obviously outside, obviously outside. So yeah. wow. So looking forward to that. It's gonna but things are starting to get very busy in in the industry that I drive bits and bobs for right now very good so it's, uh, it's all good yeah but uh so that uh that's about it then guys and girls thanks again for joining us this evening and don't forget to tune in next friday so from me carlos here in my home studio from matt in the glorious p2k studios and from nev in his well, stately mansion in Buckinghamshire. <laughs> right. And from Armando, who we're going to miss for a few weeks. But uh, good luck and all the best in your training, Armando. Take care, everyone. All the best. And see you next Friday. Goodbye, everyone. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye.